G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Stick Together is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation and you can hear it on your community radio station. Today, two struggles from two different ends of the spectrum with the same issues at the core, pay and conditions. First, we hear from Tony Mafromatis, Victorian State Secretary of the AMWU, the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, about the strike action by workers at the Visi plant in the rural centre, Shepparton, in Victoria. We follow up with a report on the NTEU, National Tertiary Education Union, strike action at Sydney University on March the 31st and to be repeated on April the 5th in the longest DBA negotiation in the university's history. You're listening to Stick Together, Worker Stories and Union News, broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. You're with Annie on Stick Together, Union News, Worker Stories and Social Justice Issues on your Community Radio Network. The workers at the Visi Cannery in Shepparton in country Victoria were offered 8.7% wage increase over four years in their latest EBA negotiations, which was actually a pay cut with the rate of inflation running as high as it is. Considering Visi registered $7 billion in revenue, that was $7 billion in revenue in the last 12 months, workers felt they needed to stand their ground to get a better deal. I spoke to Tony Mavromatis, Victorian State Secretary of the AMWU, the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union, who has been party to the negotiations to find out about the dispute. Let's get down to the Visi issue. Um, now, Shepparton is a, a country town. It's got limited amount of employers. And so this is obviously a very serious issue for people to go on strike and it's been going on since January, hasn't it? Um, they've been taking industrial action now for eight and going into their ninth week. Yeah. So how how are the how are the people feeling? What's going on? Well Annie, um, you know, we're talking about forty five workers that um work at the cannery in Shepparton. The cannery supplies cans for the food industry i.e., you know, Nestles, Campbell Soups, SPC. Um, th- that's the food that ends up in our supermarkets for people to buy. Um, um, for the last six years, um, these workers have only been receiving, you know, um, wage increases of around about 2% a year. And the company, you know, which is busy, um, have been, you know, arguing CPI's low, therefore we're just going to give you 2% per year. Um, then we went through, you know, COVID, 
over two years where, um, you know, these workers worked ex- extensive hours to make sure the cans are prepared to get on the supermarkets, as we've seen, you know, during COVID. Um, um, and then we had the floods. Um, you'd remember the floods in the northern Victoria. Our Shepparton was one of the areas really affected by the major floods and how the community up there got together and supported each other through that um through that struggle of the of the floods and how people were you know going through some hard times and it was good to see community come together um in support of each other up in up in up in Shepparton. um we are now we are now at the stages where um you know we've been trying to negotiate an outcome with Vicky um for the past nine months or so um their agreement expired at the end of june uh, the company deliberately delayed negotiations and started them late. Um, um, and now it's time to reverse the argument the government that the, the company used to use against those workers when they used to say, "Well, CPA is only at 1.8 percent; we'll only give you a two percent pay increase." Now we know that CP the, co- the cost of living and CPIs are up around about seven, if not eight percent, and climbing. And they're refusing to engage in that argument now. Um, these workers I'm talking about, Annie, are only on, some of them are on about $27, $28 an hour. We're not talking about really high paid, high, high paid people. Um, and, you know, when I got involved in the negotiations, um, we normally hear complaints from companies like absenteeism problems, productivity problems. Um, all those, you know, things that companies like to raise around the negotiations. At this cannery, we heard nothing about that. We actually asked the question and the companies told us, no, absenteeism is great and productivity is really good. Um, but, you know, we're not going to offer more than what we're offering now. Um, we, 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 we as the union and the workers out there um, really struggle to understand why that's the case. Especially when Vicky has turned around seven billion dollars over the last twelve months in revenue, um, that would have to be six billion dollars at least in profits. They've told us that, um, and you know we're still we're still um, trying to reach an agreement. We want to reach an agreement for these workers out there, but it's got to be a fair agreement. At the moment, the company's um, making applications to the commission to remove the protected industrial action that these workers are taking um over the last nine weeks they've been campaigning hard um and it's been a bit of a moving picket so they've been mobilizing around the place um and busy just want to complain about how effective our campaign has been and how it's costing them money and how they may be losing clientele now and want to remove our protected action um, and we're simply saying, well, you know, that's what campaigning's supposed to do. It's supposed to have an effect. It's having an effect over the eight, nine weeks, and it's time to do the deal. And we are standing by to, to try and get an agreement with Busy. Um, so that's where we're at right now, Annie, if that um, comes across pretty clear to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I know that uh, there's been rolling strikes so uh, it started off being, you know, like two days, then three days, then four days, uh, because it's actually really hard for these workers to actually make ends meet, isn't it? So this is really hard campaigning. 
Well, as you said before, Annie, we're, we're talking about a community in Shepparton where there isn't that many jobs around Shepparton. Um, they aren't high-paid wages. Um, and when you're on strike and, and, and not having any income, it's hard. Um, and, 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 and strategically, strategically, the stoppages are designed to keep some money in their pockets to be able to pay the bills and put food on the table. Um, and and have an effect um, um, to get the company to negotiate properly. Um, the union has a hardship fund, which we which isn't a lot of money, but it helps them through their struggle. And we're actually fundraising around around the place, um, really around the country. We're getting um, some good donations around the country. Where this this camp this 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 strike or this campaign has been spread around the country now and people are realising the struggle and making some helpful donations. Um, we've got a lot of donations coming in from around Victoria, some from around Australia, as I mentioned. And and workers are understanding that, you know, this struggle needs to be fought and it needs to be won because, you know, the struggle for the shipping and cannery workers is also the struggle for the rest of the country and the state. And we all need to be supporting each other um, to make sure we can, you know, win these win these disputes. Um, at the end of at the end of the day, it's about justifying a decent pay rise under the current climate. When they say that they're beginning to hurt, they tried to uh, uh, juggle the cans, etc., that uh, were in storage to cover the um, shortfall not coming from the factory in Shepparton, but obviously it's now become depleted. Is that right? Well, um, Vizzy has a good way of, you know, planning these things. That's why they delayed the negotiations. They had a good stockpile um, for a period of time. Um, our understanding their stockpile is now down um, and they don't have any stock anymore. And now it's down to the crunch. And that's what, you know, it's taken eight to nine weeks to bring it to that. Um, and now that's why we hear Vizzy is trying to remove the protected action. And it's costing Vizzy a lot of money now. And, um, you know, the effect is that they may lose clientele. So the pressure's on Vizzy now, not just the workers now. And, and, and you know, that's what campaigning's supposed to do. It's supposed to bring people to the table. Um, they've tried to, you know, for eight weeks, starve workers out, um, where their stockpile has now come to the point where they can't deliver to their clientele. And we encourage Busy to get their head out of the sand and sit down and negotiate a decent outcome for these workers. I mean, I was looking into uh, Anthony Pratt and Busy. It's got form, really, across the country, doesn't it? Around this kind of behaviour of keeping wages suppressed, low and pretending that it doesn't have any money, it's cash poor, that sort of stuff, right across the country. Um, there was a there was a report last week that I think um, it said that the Pratt family um, is worth something like twenty seven billion dollars. That's twenty seven thousand million dollars, Annie. Yeah. Um, um, and they're making it on the on the back of you know the blood and sweat of of the working class. Um, and when the cost of living is where it is, one would think a decent employer would understand that. One would think a decent employer would say, listen, we want to help our workers get through this cost of living crisis. 
a lot of these workers up at Shepparton, they're either got loans or paying rent. Um, you know, we know now that, you know, there's at least $1,000 a month that workers have got to pay towards their loans on top of the 2000 So that's $3,000 a month workers have got to um, pay to be able to get through their loans. And if they're not paying house loans, they're paying rent. We're rent up 15% over the last 12 months. And it really is a struggle. And one would think an employer with a decent, you know, profit margin and a wealth that they have from the back of working class people um, would realise that and recognise that and they should support their, their workers. Um, and we don't understand why they don't. Um, um, uh, we can only think that, you know, the company really needs to think about these workers and help us through the struggle right now. Um, I want to also mention, I want to also mention for the, the listeners, um, Annie, that there is a, um, a, 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 an account that is made for these workers and if people want to make donations to the, to to support these workers and get them through this struggle, we can supply those details to 3CR and 3CR, um, if they could advertise that for us, for people that are listening and want to, you know, just make a small donation towards these workers and get them through the struggle. Remember, at the end of the day, their struggle is everybody's struggle and, and everybody's time will come where they're going to have to fight for the cost of living because governments aren't doing enough. The banks are definitely making it harder. The cost of living's up there. And, and today, it's the shipping and cannery workers. Tomorrow, it'll be everybody else that wants a decent wage increase to maintain their standard of living. So if people can just make small donations, that'd be great. We'll really appreciate it. And, and, and of course, the shipping and cannery workers would appreciate their donations to help them through the struggle. So I'll supply that information to you, Annie, and if you can advertise that, we'd really appreciate on behalf of those shipping and cannery workers. No worries about that. In fact, I've put some money in myself already. Thank you, Annie, and I'll pass that message to the workers. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. You are with Annie on Stick Together, Union News, Worker Stories and Social Justice Issues on your Community Radio Network. We now move to Sydney University, where the biggest national tertiary education union meeting ever held at Sydney University, or on at any other campus in Australia, voted 56% to continue strike action to fight for better wages and conditions. More than 400 members at the more than 700 strong meeting voted for two days of strikes to be held on March the 31st and April the 5th. It was a landmark decision and I spoke with NTEU organiser Dr Nick Rimmer on the Monday before the second day of action for an account of the dispute. We had our eighth um, day of strike action um, last Friday and we've got our ninth coming up this Wednesday and you're right to describe them as, as landmark because we're now easily in the longest running strike campaign in any Australian university ever in the history of the, the NTEU, the National Tertiary Education Union. Um, and there's a good reason for that, which is that at Sydney University, we've got a highly militant management who are very determined to degrade staff conditions and are, are wanting to 
drive through some changes to, to the way we work here, which are completely unacceptable to, to most staff. There's been a lot of to and froing recently in the negotiations. And last Friday's strike was really only definitively confirmed two days beforehand. But despite that, we had a very good turnout. We had hundreds of staff members on the pickets. We ran a very strong strike. The campus was completely deserted. And we hope that that sends our management a message that even though they're trying to wear us out and exhaust us, um, we have lots of fight in us left because we are uh, really campaigning uh, to prevent the university being even more corporatized and to prevent staff being driven further and further into overwork. In actual fact, it's almost like they're creating a sweatshop for academics and professional staff, it would seem to me. This idea of education-focused roles, which was brought up in South Australia as well, which is means that it's a, a common theme across universities in Australia, which actually threatening the identity of universities as educational institutions, isn't it? It's not just this isn't this isn't just about uh, universities uh, workers conditions of employment. This is about universities and the integrity of universities. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Annie. It's about both. So it's true that across the country and more broadly across the higher education sector in lots of parts of the world, there is a push to uh, intensify the amount of teaching that university staff do to the detriment of the time that they would otherwise be spending on research. Um, at Sydney University, management want to impose a 70% teaching workload on hundreds and hundreds of staff. They want the right to have up to 650 um, of these education-focused staff. And the consultation that we've done extensively shows that that kind of workload is simply unsustainable. So it's a recipe for quite serious physical and mental health problems for burnout. And it's simply impossible to give students the kind of education that they need um, when you're doing that kind, kind of workload. A 70% teaching workload is actually impossible to uh, accomplish in the normal hours of a working week. Um, in any week where you have to do marking as well as teaching. Um, so that's about five of the 13 weeks of a semester. So the university's proposal is actually baking intense overwork into an enter into the enterprise agreement, and that's something that no union will ever accept. But it's not just a question about workload, as you said. It's also a question about the identity of the university. Um, we think that one of the things that distinguishes universities is that they're places where people, students are taught by active researchers in their disciplines. But that's exactly what this management want to want to stop. Um, they want to break that nexus between teaching and research. And I think they do it because the university is fundamentally now run by people who have no organic link with higher education. The Senate, which is the highest governing body of the university, is dominated by um, figures from, the, from the, the corporate world, from the finance industry, from the arms industry, would you believe, from uh, the property development industry. Um, they're really the dominant voices on Senate. And our vice chancellor, Mark Scott, um, is a professional bureaucrat and executive. He's been head of the ABC, of Fairfax, of the New South Wales Department of Education. He has no experience um, 
as a university worker. He's never published research. He's never undertaken a, uh, a, a doctorate. He's never taught in a university classroom. And once you turn over universities to people who have no understanding of or commitment um, to them, you see them being run um, in a way that uh, only respects finances. That's what we're seeing now. But, you know, ironically, actually, that gives rise to, to massive inefficiency. So it isn't even financially prudent either. I, I'm absolutely gobsmacked. I, I uh, can't believe how terrible it must be for younger academics in particular, because in order to actually uh, to take up academic roles in a university, you have to expend huge amounts of personal resources, financial as well as personal, to get to the level where you're allowed to do the teaching at a university. It's outrageous. Yeah, it is. It is outrageous. And, uh, you know, the corporatisation and neoliberalisation of universities over the last couple of decades is absolutely driving talented young academics out of the profession. I mean, I'm seeing a whole generation of extremely uh, bright, extremely hardworking, enormously talented young academics who have been forced to completely abandon any ambition that they might once have had of teaching and researching in higher education. And that has another consequence, which is that we're seeing entire disciplines or we're risking entire disciplines, entire traditions of knowledge simply, you know, wither on the vine. And there's a sense, I think, in which that's sort of what the political and economic right in this country want. You know, they're not interested in free inquiry. They're not interested in universities as centres of critique and of exploration. And they're not interested in the idea that one of the things that universities should do is explore the diversities of ways in which we can be human. What they want is to create a compliant labour force that will provide the next uh, generation of employees. And they don't really give a damn about any of the higher purposes of university education. It's a profoundly, you know, philistine um, and objectifying attitude to, to young people. Let's get down to the practicalities. Casualisation of the, the workforce, the academic workforce, and also the professional staff are under fire. They've been casualised, but now they're doing this other thing, which is they're firing them and then wanting to re-employ re them or others uh, uh, on fixed-termed contracts. This is quite an interesting approach. In fact, I experienced this in a private college where they thought they were going to save money by first having you under one contract and then under another. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's casualisation, there's overwork, there's um, the failure to fill vacancies when they, when they arise. So our professional staff, the administrative staff who are essential to the running of the university are just as under the pump as academics. All of those problems that, that academics um, have uh, are there among professional staff too. And one of the things that has been, I think, very uh, encouraging about this strike campaign is the fact that professional staff and academic staff have really joined together and seen the common interests they share, seeing the fact that even though in some ways the work they do is very different, the problems that they have are very similar, and there's been enormous solidarity between those two those two groups of, of, of people. Um, also, students, what's their reaction? 
Yeah, well, look, I think students students have been magnificent in this campaign. Students understand what side their bread is buttered on, and they can see clearly, I think, that when staff are defending their own working conditions, they're also campaigning for better better student learning conditions. That's a slogan that we use a lot in the NTEU. Staff working conditions are student learning conditions, and it's absolutely true because when staff, whether they're academic or professional, are, are overworked, um, that cannot but have deleterious impacts on, um, the, on, on the, the experience that students have in, in the classroom. So we've had magnificent support on the, on the pickets um, from, from students at the university. The student organisations are 100% behind us. The student union uh, you know, has closed its food outlets, its numerous food outlets on campus for every strike day. So there's a very clear level of political support from um, from students for what staff are, do, are doing. And I think, you know, the bottom line is that universities should be run by staff and students. They shouldn't be run by corporate executives as they, as they currently are. Um, on mouth-watering salaries that are more appropriate to the to the corporate sector than to institutions that should be directed to the democratisation of knowledge like universities should be. All right, so there's uh, another strike action. Uh, have you had any reactions from the, from the, the other side of the table in this negotiation? Uh, we, ha we haven't um, to the strike that we held on Friday. We're in bargaining negotiations again tomorrow, so Tuesday, so we'll see what um, what eventuates there. One thing that is uh, abundantly clear, though, is that the campaign that we have undertaken so far has made very real gains. Um, so we have uh, averted some of the attacks, some of the serious attacks that uh, management went into this negotiating round wanting to make. We've also secured some very important um, gains. For example, we've secured uh, five days of sick leave for casual staff, which I think is an extremely important um, reform and which really goes to the very definition of casual work itself. So um, I'm very proud of the achievement that this branch has, has managed to, to, to make in, in that area. And we've just got a few more things that we need to tick off. There's not very far that management has to go um, in order to put this uh, all behind us. And we just need them to do that. We're, we're not going to relent in our campaign until they do. Thanks for talking to me. Great pleasure, Annie. Thanks for having me. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or at your favourite podcast site. The details of the account where you can give financial support to the shepherd and cannery workers can be found with our podcast. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by ringing 03 94198377 and leaving us a message. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And until next time, stick together. When the boss comes calling, they'll put us down. When the boss comes calling, get a stand your ground. When the boss comes calling, don't believe their lies. When the boss comes calling, he'll take his toe. When the boss comes calling, don't you sell your soul. When the boss comes calling, we gotta organize. Let them know.
Let them know. 